Hello and welcome to the Football DNA podcast. I'm Stuart, the co-founder, and it is my great pleasure to be joined by our co-host, Ross Brooks of West Ham United Academy. Today we are joined by Charlie Hyman from Bloomsbury Football to discuss developing a grassroots football club. Over to you, Ross. I hope you enjoy the podcast and any feedback, please feel free to share on social media. Welcome to our next episode on our Football DNA uh, podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Charlie Hyman, who's going to be discussing um, developing a grassroots uh, football club. Um, Charlie um, has worked as the CEO and director of um, uh, Bloomsbury Football Foundation um, today. And Charlie's got a fantastic um, experience in developing a club. So really the podcast is there for people that are interested and in working um, in whatever capacity in a grassroots club, hopefully to give you some ideas of how you can develop your own. So um, welcome to the podcast, Charlie. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you, Ross, for having me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good to be here. I'm excited to be able to share my experiences. Hopefully that will help others to uh, improve their grassroots clubs and, and do the same. Fantastic. So, Charlie, before we begin, I think it'd be really good for the listeners just to hear a little bit, a bit more on your background and your experiences I don't know if you can just shed a little bit of light in terms of how you've got to uh, where you are now yeah for sure so I have always loved football probably as most uh, people have listening to this podcast um, I've never played at a sort of good level of football I was never in a, a professional academy anything like that I played for school played for you know Sunday team with friends um, and when I was about 16, 17, I started helping out coaching um, at my younger brother's club, um, volunteering, part of uh, basically volunteering hours we had to do with school. So it wasn't even by choice to start with, uh, but it was definitely a better option than uh, helping out in a, in a cafe. So, uh, so yeah, so started helping out. The coach there at the time um, worked for Fulham, uh, Fulham Foundation. And I absolutely loved it. I then went and did a summer of work experience with Fulham Foundation uh, and basically travelled around South London, seeing all their programmes from kind of their development centre at the training ground to disability sessions, uh, working with young people uh, at pupil referral units. Uh, and it was, it was brilliant. It kind of just enriched my interest and uh, love for coaching and working with young people. Um, and went off to university wanted to kind of keep my options open um didn't want to get to like 25 and think i don't want to do football anymore and have nothing else to fall back on so uh slightly oddly did geography at uni um which surprises quite a few uh but kept up the coaching on the side so i was in uh, nottingham and sort of went along watched nottingham forests community sessions and also uh, volunteered my time working in the grassroots club there was coming back to london a lot uh, still coaching very much grassroots, um, your typical, you know, football in the park, turn up on the weekend, play a match. Um, and yeah, I, I finished uni and said, this is, this is still what I want to do. Absolutely love it. I'd seen the amazing impact that um, football could have on young people's lives and went out to, uh, to set up Bloomsbury and here we are today. Fantastic. And you obviously touched on geography. I guess all of that experience that you had travelling around South London really gave you a a broad understanding of, I suppose, what grassroots football looked like in that area, but also what it meant to uh, the community. Um, and obviously, I've looked into your club. You've got a fantastic um, outreach of now how you're reaching out to so many various people and in plenty of different initiatives. So I suppose it'd be really good, again, maybe just to 
now you are where you are now, just give us a little bit more information on your your club and sort of what how long you've been running and give us a little bit more background, that'd be brilliant. Sure. So I set it up in early 2018 um, and have now been going obviously for, for three and a half years. Um, we started with, or I say we, I started with um, four or five children who came along to a kind of first training session in Camden Town. Um, and it's grown out to working with about 5,000 children a week, which is incredible. Uh, and obviously I never thought it would get to that point. Um, we kind of started with just a training session, uh, looking to basically give children a better experience, but also one that everyone can access. Uh, and that's still the reason why we exist. So we want to, one, make sure that everyone can access football, because uh, especially in London, but across the country, uh, it's expensive, um, especially where there's a lack of facilities. And so competition, lifts up the prices, and, and that gets passed on to, to families. Uh, and the second thing was to make sure that the experience that young people had at grassroots level was great because there's a lot of uh, grassroots clubs, coaches, experiences out there that aren't actually benefiting young people. So set out to kind of match up the two. Uh, and in doing so, by providing everyone a great experience and making sure everyone can access it, those young people grow up with all the benefits that football can provide, whether that's just being physically fit and healthy, or building up life skills that are going to improve their chances of doing well at school or, or getting a job when they're older. Um, and so, yeah, so now we work with sort of 5,000 children a week to give you kind of an idea. About two thirds of that is what we would describe as us taking football to them. So we're going into schools, uh, estates, community centres, local youth groups, putting on sessions for those children who maybe don't play at the moment or their parents don't take them, they can't afford it. Whatever those barriers are, they just haven't had that opportunity on the most part to play or to experience a good quality sports session. Uh, and then obviously through those sessions, they get their exercise, they get to play, but more importantly, and hopefully they get inspired to come along and join our out of school programs, which are like weekends, weekday evenings, holidays, uh, similar to a lot of grassroots clubs, we've got teams that play in leagues, they come along, they train. We've also got holiday programs. We've also got what we call our foundation, which essentially will give every child that opportunity, whether they're boy or girl, kicked a ball before, never kicked a ball before, can't participate in a mainstream session due to a disability. We're kind of here for everyone. Uh, and that's that's our mission. We want to we want to grow that and, and offer more children that opportunity. Amazing. And what I find just I can't really quite comprehend how you've got to that point from having three or four children um, to having five thousand children in the in the space of three and a bit years. Um, two things that really stuck out for me there was just around accessibility and also cost. So, I mean, how have, in terms of your setup then, how have you gone around um, approaching that? Because again, that would be something where depending on where people are, the situation, what their context in, accessibility might be down to the demographics, how far people have to travel. Similarly, that may be down to costs, as you mentioned. So is that something that you were finding when you were in your, your area that actually people people struggle to afford that and, and struggle to, to get the opportunities you mentioned? Um, Definitely. I think um, particularly Central London, so where there's, where there's far more children than there is basically space to play 
Um, it's those who can afford it that end up getting the opportunity to play and actually those that probably need it the most who are left um, with a barrier in front of them to stop them being able to access it. Um, it definitely varies kind of area to area, different demographics, ages, groups. That's something obviously very complex that we're trying to navigate. Um, in terms of model, it's probably useful for, for people listening to, to understand how we do actually approach that. So uh, our overall cost to run, about 60% of that money comes from people in schools paying for our services, what we would call kind of trading income. Uh, and those children who pay or those families who pay, most, mostly it's the parents, obviously, they will pay full price if they can afford it. Uh, which is kind of typical London football soccer school price. Uh, and that price is slightly above what that child's cost is, their true cost for that session. Uh, and that surplus goes to supporting children that can't afford to pay even their cost. Um, so we've got kind of sliding scale financial assistance model, those that can afford to support those that can't, those that can afford to but couldn't afford to pay the surplus, pay the cost. And then there's like, 80% of 90% of case-by-case bursaries, we make sure that every child can play. Um, all that money totaled up, coupled with the schools who also pay an amount that helps but doesn't cover the full cost of what we provide to the schools, comes to 60% of our total funding. Uh, and the other 40% we go out to raise. And I think we'll come on to kind of fundraising and then how we go about raising that probably in, in a few minutes. Yeah, fantastic. And I really get the impression it's more than just being a, a football club. You know, I think, you know, it seems like you're really trying to have an imprint on the community and, and really trying to impact as many people's lives as you possibly can. And again, I think for anyone that's involved in a in a grassroots club or looking at developing theirs, I think it's really important to understand, OK, what are we trying to achieve? What do we stand for? Um, and having that long term sort of vision of that. Hi there, it's Stuart again. Thanks for listening to the podcast so far. I hope you are finding it useful and enjoyable. A quick hello to our Football DNA community members. I hope you are all well. If you are not part of the DNA community and would like to access over 1,000 videos on footballdna.co.uk, then you can check out our seven-day trial on the site to access over 500 outfield coaching practices, full sessions, full-season curriculums, goalkeeping, one-to-one, and lots more coach education content. Back to you, Ross. Um, so how, how did you go about setting that up? So from your small group of uh, three or four children, how have you gone to think, actually, you know what? I think we've got a really opportunity here as a, as a, as a foundation and as a grassroots club to have a real impact on, on the community that, where there's actually a real need f- for that. Um, how did you go around sort of formalising that, that idea, you know? Yeah, I think um, it's a really good point. A lot of um, organisations, especially you know, grassroots football clubs, start without that clear objective of, of why they're setting up. So um, taking that step back and going, why am I actually doing this? And then going one deeper, like, why do I think I'm actually doing this? Really digging down to understand what are we trying to achieve here? Once you understand that, and that can change, that that has you know evolved for me, and sense completely changed, but it definitely evolves in in different ways, whether that's different programs or the way in which you market yourselves or talk about yourselves. But having that then allows you to make decisions about everything else. So if I know that 
you know, I'm trying to get as many children active as I can versus an organisational club trying to uh, develop the best players. Neither's right, neither's wrong. It's completely up to you and what you want to do. But that will then allow me to make decisions like, do I book a 4G pitch that's slightly more expensive or a sand-based astro that's, you know, slightly cheaper? Well, maybe I'll book one for one programme, one for another. It depends on what you're trying to do. Neither's right or wrong. It's not a better pitch. I might be able to make a bigger impact and get more children active booking a cheaper 2G Astro, and then that's great for me. So it's it's stepping back, having that clear objective, uh, and then making all your decisions in line with that. So we, we knew kind of broadly what we wanted to do, and therefore the model of a registered charity made most sense for us. So that's kind of what we set up with. Lots of um, grassroots clubs will set up as kind of like junior championship sports clubs, limited companies. There's a range of options. Again, there's no right, there's no wrong depends on what you're trying to achieve. So that would be, I, I guess, my main point of advice is think deeply about what you actually want to do and then all the other decisions become a lot easier. Yeah, brilliant. And I think there's some really good considerations um, there for those that are in the position of either establishing or developing a, a club. Um, now looking back, is there any other thing, any other considerations that you think would be, be useful for those that are in, in that position that are trying to go for a, a similar journey of that you've gone through um, that you, you think would be would be useful. Uh, lots, yeah. I think when you you set out, you don't realise how much you don't know, and the more you know, the more you realise how much you don't know. If that makes sense. So you know, when you start, it's okay. How do we get players along? For example, just looking at marketing, it's like, oh, well, we'll just fly around and. And we'll, we'll pick up players and then it's like oh well there's you know social media marketing how does that work and as you begin to learn more you realize in this whole world of you know analytics and what's the best time to post when you put out how much is an advert cost is that worth doing all these things that um you basically just have to learn as you go along and, and seek advice where you can uh, i would say one of the best things i've learned is to try and find and seek out advice uh, and that most people are actually very happy to give their time for help, basically. So if you, you know, if you're starting out at whatever level, if you're, you know, had an incredibly uh, amazing career in marketing, but you're looking to start a football club, you might be great at the marketing side, but you don't know how to plan a coaching session. If you reach out to a top coach and say, hey, you can have an hour of your time, just want to, you know, talk through. Most people would be delighted to be asked their advice and are happy to help. So that's something I've, I've certainly leaned on. I've not run an organisation before, so the more advice I can get, the less basically errors I'll make, and, and the quicker we can progress as an organisation. So that would probably be one of my key key pieces of advice: is, is ask for help, and, and you will get it. Yeah, fantastic, and. Um... I think, it, again, it probably just shows it's not just about the coaching side of it, right? I think there's so many different things that go into uh, establishing that that club. And, and similarly, if you want to grow your club, so many different ways that you can do that. It's all about the context and what it is that you're, you're trying to achieve. Um, I was interested um, on that. You know, you were talking about seeking advice. Did you go out and look at other grassroots clubs, other organisations? What I, I don't know if you can share maybe an example of um, something that you 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 went and visit that you might have done or speaking to someone where you thought oh you know what that that was really good um, what they did and, and I think that you know was that was that useful for you definitely I think when we started um, you 
like naturally are looking at other clubs you know you turn up to their fixture what kit do they have you know what's the coach like every club is like that I think as we've grown um and I guess become more than basically grassroots teams that play in leagues uh, and more of this rounded organization using football social good the organizations that I look to are probably slightly different from um when we started which makes sense so uh my go-to like the most amazing organization football beyond borders uh, which i'm sure a lot of people would have heard of listening to podcasts use football to basically stop children getting excluded from school and improve their their gcse results uh they're amazing jasper who, who set it up is great i go and chat to him i want to learn from him I want to have that relationship. We don't see ourselves as competitors. We see ourselves as being able to make a bigger difference if we work together. Um, so, you know, looking up to other organizations and looking at how they talk about themselves, how they fundraise, how many people they have, how do they hire them, all these things will, will definitely help um, clubs. And, and that's one thing I definitely would like to see more of. I think that is probably an unhealthy uh relationship between most grassroots clubs in that it's us the you for everything rather than yes we can play a match on the pitch and win or lose but actually we're trying to achieve the same thing we're trying to develop young people to be better footballers be better people how can we share practice so that we can all improve together um and my best kind of example of that is like if you don't have lots of good clubs you've got no one to play against so it, it uh, it's only going to help you if you can bring up the whole standard of the league by 50%, great. Everyone's got a better league, better teams, better players, better pitchers, etc. So, um, it, it, yeah, definitely something I'd like to see more of. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point just in terms of that that link between clubs to clubs. And actually, that if you really care about the players, you know, the improvement in those relationships and the growth of everything and the provision that you provide you know, because when you go and play against another club, the quality of their pitches, their environment will have a direct impact on your play. So whilst you can't take control of that club, you can definitely work together and influence how we feel the, the provision should look for in our community. Um, just, yeah, just, just to expand on that point, actually, raised another, another thing that I'm kind of particularly keen to talk about is that like people's natural instinct is how do I keep my players from joining other teams? rather than let the players go wherever they think's best i'm going to make my service the best so that children don't want to go to other teams because we're we we offer a better service could be more affordable better coaching better pitch whatever it is there's too much trying to protect what you have rather than just we're going to be the best and if we're the best i know people come and play and join Um, so that's definitely one that i think will help a lot of coaches and clubs if you just flip your mindset and think let's be the best that people come rather than try and just keep in what you already have and, and stop them going elsewhere yeah that's a that's a fantastic point um yeah and i think that again will really challenge people to look at you know in the mirror really before they sort of start pointing the finger at elsewhere i think that's so again and then ultimately everyone wants to do that everyone wants to have the best environment and the best product in 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 turn to, to deliver to, to the parents kids and anyone that's involved in that club um so i'm just intrigued then you know from in this journey that you've you've had so far has, has there only been any sort of standout challenges that you've faced where 
have really tested you, really tested um, your setup, um, you know, that again, which you think could relate to a lot of grassroots coaches and, and organisations? Uh, definitely. I mean, yeah, there's there's challenges every day. Our kind of the key ones for us, I always say, are basically funding facilities and people. So um, every month we spend more than we bring in, as I said earlier. So there's a constant challenge to fundraise. And um, we've been, you know, in difficult situations many times where like we're wondering whether we can pay payroll at the end of the month, which is stressful, but that's part of, of running an organization um, and had to make difficult cuts and changes again at, on a handful of occasions to ensure that uh, the organization stays afloat. Um, people finding great people that fit the organization, good coaches, definitely a challenge that I'm sure other organizations um, have experienced, I think too many organizations bring in people they know that they don't fit that person's not enjoying it but they stay there for months and months they don't just sit down and have the conversation say look i don't think this is working and that is for me something i've definitely learned we've had that situation many times and it's much much better for both parties it's fair to say actually this isn't working this isn't the best step for you this isn't the best step for us um and basically bring in people quickly but also move on people quickly to the point where you're really confident that the people you have um, are the right people for the organization and again that goes back to like what are your objectives what are you trying to achieve um, and yeah facilities is is the third one um, again probably everyone has the challenge we're not lucky enough to have our own pitch or clubhouse or anything like that so we just book and rent um, you know AstroTurf, sports schools, whatever we can get our hands on. We, when we started, came for a place where we could, you know, book Thursday six to seven on one pitch. We now are in a position where we could, you know, speak to a school and have a relationship. We take the sports hall every night on block for three years. So it gives us that advantage, but we weren't always there. Um, and I would say the way we've, we've really navigated that is to plan ahead. So Again, another thing I'd say is people, especially at grassroots, look very short term. It's like, you know, man and I need a goalkeeper or we're not going to win the cup next week rather than in two years time. How am I going to ensure I've got 40 under nine? So I'm going to set up, a, you know, under six, sevens now and really invest in that for X, Y, and Z. Same thing facilities. Like, what do we need in three seasons time if our girls academy doubles in numbers? Okay, well, we're going to need five more AstroTurf. Well, let's start speaking to schools who might be relaying their AstroTurf in a year's time. It's really looking at and planning ahead, um, which we definitely start to do more of, but still are, yeah, way, way off where I'd like to be. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. This is, again, some really good advice. And I just, you know, what sort of really stands out from speaking with you just about that being forward thinking and having real clarity on where we are and where we're trying to get to. I know we spoke of that at the beginning, but I think that's that's really coming across brilliantly, um, which, again, I think is really important for, for those in, you know, in a similar position to yourself to really have a better understanding of what it is, because otherwise you risk, uh, without that clarity, really under, having a purpose and um, an identity as, a, a, as an organisation. Um, you also touched on people, which I think, again, is a massive thing, right? So 
getting the right people in the organisation that really represent the the values of what what it is that your club stands for, what you're trying to achieve, and having them really on board with that. As you you know, um, a lot of grassroots coaches get put into an environment because their child's a uh, you know, they're a dad of their child or a mum of the, their child. Um, and, and then they're put into a situation where they've actually had not really any coaching experience at all. Um, have you had that um, since you've been part of the programme? Um, and, and, and then what, how have you gone around supporting those, those types of individuals? Uh, so, no, we haven't actually. We uh, essentially recruit our coaches. So pretty much all of our uh full-time employees and also what we call sessional coaches so who are work on a freelance basis get paid for their hours we don't actually have uh, any parents coaching that was something that I set out to make sure didn't happen so that there wasn't any you know conflict of interest bias or worse basically pushing someone into a situation which is like you know oh someone needs to take them the nines this season which dad wants to step up and do it oh you'll do it cool you're in and they're suddenly like, wow, I'm way out of my depth here. Um, but kind of on that point, it, it comes back down to that person understanding, like, what are the aims? So, you know, Johnny's dad's taking the under-12s. Why does that team exist? What's, he, what's the point? Is it for those group of children just to have an organised, you know, social outside of school where they get together, they enjoy a football match and the parents have a chat and go, if that is, that's great. And then if that's understood by everyone in the group, including the children, it makes all the decisions easier. Pretty much all the situations I've seen where there's been conflict, um, grassroots clubs, teams, groups, is just where there's a differing level of expectations, but more so understanding of what they're trying to do. It's where you get, you know, three parents who want their child to sign for a professional academy, but the rest of the team are just there to enjoy their Sunday morning and play. So it's trying to balance those expectations, but being clear from the off that, you know, this is what we're trying to do this season or over the next three years. Tell the parents, tell the players, if you want to do this, this is what we're doing, come on, come on board. If you don't, no problem. There are lots of clubs that will serve what you want to do. And, and it's a hard conversation, but everything becomes easier once there's clarity um, over what you're trying to achieve. Fantastic. And um, just really uh, one of the things that you you touched on at the beginning of the call was um, sort of linking to some of the, the things. So I'm going to try and weave it in. It's just around that 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 fundraising element. So uh, obviously I can see some sponsors um, hung up behind you uh, yes. whilst you're, you're in. So um, I, I guess I'm intrigued then, you know, you mentioned obviously about 40% of the organisation is through, through fundraising and um, obviously you're fortunate and when I say fortunate you've skillfully built a program where actually you've, you've almost built it as a business and you can em- employ people that you know really want to grow and develop as coaches but not all clubs will have that that capacity to be able to do that and will be heavily reliant upon fundraising you know whether that's through uh, national governing bodies or through or, you know different organizations and business so how have you approached fundraising? Um, you know, what 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 has there been any challenges with that? And have you got any good tips for for those that are looking at maybe trying to get some more funds uh, raised for their club? 
Definitely. So yeah, we are we are in a fortunate position now where we have you know a full time person who does fundraising for us, but we've only got to that point by fundraising enough to fund that person's role. Yeah. Um, the 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 main piece of advice that I give when I speak to kind of grassroots clubs or football organisations trying to fundraise is that there's basically you know two ends of the spectrum. There's the real charity funding, uh, and then there's kind of sponsorship and marketing funding. So if you get your local pizza restaurant sponsor your kit, they want the logo on the shirt. They want people to see their their pizza restaurant. They want people to come along, uh, and they will be interested in how many people see the kits, how many people see your social media, where they can get their logo out. It's a very much return on investment from a marketing standpoint, with a return for the pizza place being positive on whatever they give you, uh, and that's a very different conversation. Uh, from the opposite end, which is pure charity, where people won't care about the football. They will care about what the football is doing for wider society. So uh, to register as a charity, you have to have um, an objective that serves the public, because essentially you're being subsidised by the government to be a charity. So our you know, objective is around improving the lives of young people, using the power of football so if we want to go along to sport england or national lottery and get a grant we need to prove how our football programs are improving the physical and mental well-being let's say of young people or you know bringing people together and improving social cohesion in a particular community um, it's not for everyone a lot of grassroots clubs may say that's not what we're trying to do or it's something we do but we're not trying to do it intentionally um most of the conversations i have actually sit somewhere in the middle so if you take away the funders who will fund essentially registered charities so things like national lottery and sport england and you look at um, businesses companies individuals they actually want something in the middle they want to see what the impact is because they like that they feel good about it but they also do want to be known that they've given the money whether that's a company whether that's an individual they might want their name on the kits. They might want their name in the clubhouse. It's usually somewhere in the middle. It sways depending on who it is and who you're speaking to. Um, and we basically kind of decided to go out and profile the people that we approach to say, where do we think they're going to sit? So um, ASK, we sponsor our kits, um, property investment firm. They're not really going to get much business from us putting them on the kits. But for them, it's great to have on their website to show that they are a socially responsible business and they're kind of giving back to their local community. Opposite end of the spectrum, we had uh, Chipotle come and sponsor our camps, for example. They wanted banners, they wanted children eating burritos with pictures on their social media because they've got a new restaurant launching and they want people to know about it. So you've got to twist your pitch uh, depending on, on who you're talking to. Um, but the best, I guess, advice I can give for those just starting out is from the uh, sort of sponsorship end, the marketing side, look at companies and businesses who are super local, try and do your research, try and get an introduction. It's very hard going in cold uh, and be prepared when you go in with why you think what you're offering is an advantage to them. Don't go in with, we want this amount of money because it will do X, Y, Z for us. It's going in with a, 
give, 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 and then you get your ask, build that relationship. Uh, and on the funding and the fundraising side, uh, find someone who knows how to write grants. Um, I tried to write grants at the start and didn't get any. Uh, as soon as I kind of invested a little bit in a freelance bid writer, uh, she managed to bring some money in. We use some of that money to then pay her to do more hours as well as investing in the programs and grow it out. So, yeah, I can speak all day about fundraising. That's my uh, my two minute speech. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm, I'm making notes all the time, Charlie. I've got the blueprint now of running grassroots yeah. clubs all over the, the country. So, um, no, it's, it's fantastic and a really uh, brilliant insight. Um, I, I guess really just to conclude, uh, I'm intrigued. You know, have you got any sort of final uh, takeaway uh, messages for, for coaches or for people that are looking at developing uh, their, their grassroots clubs? I know there's been lots of brilliant um, points, but is, you know, is there anything that you sort of really want people to go away with from, from listening in to this today? Um, yeah, I think probably two things. One would be put yourselves in the shoes of young people you're working with. See it from their point of view. Um, be that an 18 year old in a professional academy or, or a seven year old starting out their journey think about why do they come what do they want did they enjoy that that will really help you to to provide a better service and, and be a better coach um, and the second one which which i've mentioned twice is really think about the why why are you doing that why are you doing this why do you want to start a club once you have clarity on that everything else becomes easier and don't worry if you get it wrong or need to change it. It will change. It will evolve. But have something that you're working towards, except that it might change, but allow it to allow you to make all the decisions you need um, to grow and, and become better. Brilliant. Charlie, it's been fantastic talking with you. And I definitely encourage anyone that's listening in to um check out your your site and have a read up into your organization i don't know if you can just give us the the website um that they could reach out to or how they could find uh, a little bit more about your club definitely yeah so if you google Bloomsbury football i hope our marketing team has done a good enough job to to get us high enough up on the google search <laughs> you should find us there uh, otherwise feel free to just message me on linkedin um i use it quite a lot and and reply to everyone so yeah shout me on there happy to chat and help fantastic and yeah similarly um we would love to hear from the football dna community if there's anything that you've picked up from today or if there's anything that we can do to uh, support you and give you some ideas moving forwards with your your grassroots club please reach out to us on on the football dna website through our email through our socials we'd love to hear more from you and similarly if you've got any feedback from today's podcast and any questions for Charlie, as I said, we'd really encourage you to, to reach out to him. Um, he's doing a brilliant job reaching out to, to thousands of children now um, and um, really looking to see, look forward to seeing how the, the project continues to grow. And I'm sure uh, there'll be many more children and families that benefit from your, your work. So thank you so much for, for joining us uh, today. Thanks, Ross. Pleasure. Great stuff. Thank you.